Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Vin Infante. Vin is a mindset coach and not just a mindset coach. He has the background of being a therapist, a master mindset coach, mentor, and speaker. He has spent over 13 years in mental health, working with thousands of people to help create transformation with the people he serves. Currently, he is on a mission to impact 1 billion lives positively. And if I have ever met anyone who will fulfill that mission, it is Vin. He shares his story with us today through being bullied, challenges throughout his younger years until he hit a tipping point at 23 years old and decided to take radical self-acceptance for where he was and ownership for his future. How all change occurs at the identity level is what he shares at, during this episode and how powerful our thoughts are and how we have to become it first in order to see changes happen. We also unpacked all the differences between therapy, coaching, and mentoring. And I love this part because I think it's actually long overdue and required in this space. He shares a lot of his thoughts on the unethical practices of marketing and business in the online space, especially when it comes to mindset, coaching, and mentoring. Love that part of the conversation. Then also shares the three steps to self-development, anything that you can do will help. Read the books, listen to the podcast, and then go to the events, immerse yourself into the environments, the groups to meet more like-minded people. And then after you learn more about yourself, look for the specific investment or mentor to support you on furthering your growth. So you can jump into this field and really without very minimal investment, learn how to change your life. And I love that because that's another reason why this podcast is available because I still want to be putting free resources out there for people to be able to create change in their life. This is by far one of my favorite episodes and it is also a long one and worth it. It is worth it. We had such a deep conversation and it really stems around how your problems really are your potential. So I know you're going to love it. <laughs> Welcome to the show today, Ben. I'm so thrilled to have this conversation with you. Thanks, Marsha. Okay. So we already had a little bit of a spice happening before we started. So we decided we better hit record fast so that we could get going. Um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, please. Okay, so I am apparently, as as you and I have been saying, I am one in 10 million mindset and performance coaches out there. <laughs> but I, I'd like to think I'm the real thing. I've been in mental health for about, is it 13 years now? So it's been a while. And I'm formerly in my past life, a psychotherapist and 
also in another past life, life a firefighter. And now I'm a full-time entrepreneur, coach, business owner, um, do a little bit of investing. I'm a, I'm a dad. So I have all these really cool titles and things that I do. And none of them should impress anybody on here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love this start already. I do because it's like, this is just a really powerful kickoff spot. So you were a psychotherapist and a firefighter. Yes, that's correct. What was it like being a firefighter? How long were you a firefighter for? So I was a firefighter for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, yep. at 28 was my last official role as a psychotherapist where I was working in a private practice. Mm-hmm. And then I got called to become a firefighter. And so going in from 28 to 29, that was actually during the COVID pandemic. So we went through the fire academy. They wound up cutting the academy about, a, I can't even remember, I think it was a month or two short. So that was like our training. And then they put us in the field because, you know, people were getting sick and everybody was calling out. And so they they graduated us early, which is something they didn't do since 9-11. And then uh, after that, we started, you know, we just started, we got into it during that time. So I'm jumping a little bit, but as I left the psychotherapy private practice I was at to start joining the fire department, what I was doing was going through the training Monday to Monday to Friday was the yeah. academy. And then Saturday and Sunday, I was building my coaching business and seeing clients. Once I got out of the academy, we had a more structured schedule where we were working 24-hour tours, but a 24-hour tour is never 24. It's actually like 27, 28. Mm -hmm. And then on the days off in between, that's when I was even more building my coaching business. So after about a year being in the fire department full-time, my coaching income was actually overtaking my fire department income. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is actually like, (laughs) this is actually working. Okay. So I must be onto something. And so that really kind of set the catalyst of, I have a decision to make because the fire department as a new guy in the fire department, it takes a lot of time. Like people always have this impression that, oh, you only work two days a week. Maybe, but actually that's not true ever. Like even for guys that have been there for years, right? So it's like, yes, you work two days a week, air quotes, because that's what's on the schedule, but that's never actually how it goes. You wind up doing like, you have to cover tours for guys, you get called in last minute. You could get what's called forced in where like, if nobody's available and you are, it's because it's like your standby, which is, you know, you're waiting if something happens, you get pulled in. So as the new guy having to step up and cover other people's tours and do the extra work because, you know, you're the lowest guy on the totem pole, it was starting to interfere with my coaching. And so mm-hmm. then I realized it was very hard for me to actually give 100% to either of them because mm-hmm. now it's like I'm trying to decide if I should go into the firehouse. I'm if I'm going into the firehouse, I have to now cancel on clients like literally last minute because it wasn't always it wasn't always noticed. They would call me sometimes and be like, and and you know, it's not like they did it to me in anything wrong. This is just how the job is. They'd be like, hey, listen, sorry, no one's available. I know you're not scheduled, but you have to come in tomorrow morning and it's already like nine at night. Mm-hmm. So now I have to cancel on my clients at like nine at night or first thing in the morning. And I might have a session at like 10 a.m. and I have to be at firehouse at nine. So I'm canceling on a client at like seven. So I was like, this isn't, Mm -hmm. this isn't good. It's just like, there's not, I'm not able to really be a hundred percent for either. And I have to choose. So it was a very hard decision because firefighting was one of my childhood dreams. Mm -hmm. And I wound up, I wound up just choosing, like, I'm going to go all into this coaching thing because I feel like my heart's really getting a lot more fulfillment out of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm really in love with this. 
And I noticed that I'm more concerned about canceling on clients than not showing up to the firehouse. And so when I realized where my heart, my mind were at, I felt like I had to do the right thing, which to me was dedicate myself 100% to one thing, but be honest about what that one thing is, and then just go all in and, and bet on myself for whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if it was going to be coaching or the fire department, but I wound up knowing that there was it was going to be coaching because that's what I was more concerned about. Like I was like, I can't cancel all my clients. Like I just can't. Mm-hmm. So that that's how that that's what kind of pushed me into that. And so after the year in the fire department, I resigned and started coaching full time. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that. And I we actually have a number of friends that are firefighters. And I I know firsthand, like, you know, they'll say, yes, two days a week. Well, they're <laughs> working a full week in their two days, right? Like it's not a it's not two days. It's like it's it's a full-time job in those times. So it's always fascinating to see it. But I love how you shared that in the sense that, you know, you built it so that you had created the option to choose, you know, it was, that's exactly what you did. So if I even take it back a little bit more, um, what led you into wanting to work in mental health and what was that work like for you? So wanting to work in mental health was two parts. One part was I always, so since I was young, I had two dreams. One was to be a firefighter and the other was to be a psychotherapist because my dad's a therapist. So I always wanted to be like my dad because my dad is like the smartest guy in the world. Mm -hmm. And like, no, seriously, I always told him he should go on Jeopardy because he would have beat Ken Jennings if anyone knows who that guy is. (laughs) Right. Because my dad literally would watch Jeopardy every night and he calls out all the damn answers every freaking time. The man knows everything. Nobody... Like we used to, sometimes we used to do game nights and play like Pictionary and stuff. We stopped playing game night because it just I, wasn't fun. I would do that too, because I, we actually just watched Jeopardy a little while ago. And it was funny because I said to my husband, I'm like, wow, this is how not to feel very smart. We should probably just stop watching because it just you know, <laughs> did not feel smart at all. Well, yeah. And so, and so like it would ruin family game nights. Like who the hell wants to play Pictionary or, um, or any of these games that require knowledge when you like, you're just going to lose anyway. My dad... Mm-hmm. My dad consumes knowledge like nobody else. Like he would just sit there and he would read my, for instance, my dad's a big, um, what is it? World War One, World War II fanatic. Like he knows in the sense he knows every single tank. Like you could show him a picture of a tank. He'll, he'll name you the model of the tank. He'll name you like who used it. Was it German, Russian, American, British? Doesn't oh. matter. He'll tell you what era, like time period it's from. And no, my dad's not autistic, like where he's super focused on one thing. My dad just loves knowledge he reads about Mm -hmm. health and fitness and everything like my dad's the reason i got into the gym my dad's the reason i became a therapist my dad's the reason i've strived to do so much right and um that was a big part of what wanted me to get into it but the second piece was that i dealt with a lot of my own issues you know i had been bullied a lot growing up i had struggled with and been diagnosed with depression anxiety and panic disorder and so in dealing with these things I actually wasn't doing well with them. Uh, I was in high school. I was like really having a lot of suicidal ideation and I would kind of like sit there and think up ways to, to possibly do it. I never actually attempted, but you know, I, there was some self-harm. I would cut myself a little, all that good stuff. And so I was very much into suffering and, and the victim mentality. Like I lived in that for so long. And I would say that my mental health really didn't take a massive decline until probably high school. But I had been bullied pretty much my whole life, like middle school, grade school. 
And in high school, and then subsequently following into college, my mental health was getting worse and worse. And so it wasn't until about 23 that my life really started to change. And I kind of started getting a handle on my life. And then I started figuring out how to overcome these things. And so at 23 was really the the moment that set, set me off on the trajectory to start not only changing my life, but actually helping other people. Because one of the things that I don't admire and I don't, I don't really believe in anymore is that I used to believe in the saying, those who can't do teach. I used to, because I was like, oh, I can't do. So I just teach. But then I also realized there's not only a lack of authenticity in that, there's a lack of ability, I believe, to help others. And, and some people will be like, well, that's not true. And I'll say, well, let me ask you, if, you, if, if your client, let's just say, as, I, as I'm a therapist, my client's sitting there and they're going through something, right? And they're going through the same damn thing I'm in. And I haven't figured out how to overcome it. How do I navigate them through it? Yeah. And some people say, well, you can, you could give great advice, but you just can't do it yourself. And that's the question. It's like, if you can't do it yourself, how can you help them get through it? Like, what what will be your power when they're like, you know, Vin, you're giving great advice. I'm just, I'm just stuck. Like, what am I supposed to do? Be like, steam. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry. I actually, no. I, and I actually have this deep seated belief that I don't think you can actually take your clients somewhere that you haven't gone or experienced right. personally. I'm, I'm not saying that you have to experience every single thing possible, but emotion wise and experience wise that I don't think you can ethically take your clients to places that you haven't done yourself and, and definitely out of integrity. If I'm going to stop and give you all kinds of advice on something, but I've never attempted it. It, that just feels wrong. It just feels wrong on so many levels. Right. I agree. And I, and I look at it too. It's, it's funny because if you look at, for instance, all of the speakers in the world, all of the people who are out there educating and really making an impact. And, you know, we're clearly, this is a self-development type podcast, right? So a lot of people probably know the names, Jay Shetty, Tony Robbins, Lewis House, Jim Quick, Brendan Burchard. I could keep going, but there's no point. The thing is, there's not one of these guys that get up on stage and are like, all right, everyone, I'm going to do Tony Robbins voice. All right, everyone suffering from depression. As you know, I'm still suffering too. I haven't figured out how to overcome it, but we could all suffer together. Nobody goes to the events to hear that because that doesn't make sense. You wouldn't pay somebody for that. You wouldn't go there and want to learn what that person learned if they're like, I'm still suffering. Like when yeah. we listen to these people and we elevate them, it's because we're like, oh, shit. This person has accomplished something powerful. I want to learn how to do it too. Mm-hmm. And so when people are sitting there and they're like, well, I don't have to do it to teach it. I'm still a good leader. I would say, no, you're not. And that's why <laughs> this is a quote from the movie, Troy. And that's why no one will remember your name. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> even through the accent. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that that's who we elevate. We put people in these positions of power because it's like, They've really accomplished something and we're curious about how they did it. And so if you want to become one of those people, and this is now more talking to the coach than the client, if you want to become one of those people, you have to show what you've done. You have Mm -hmm. to show not only what you've done in in this world for yourself, but how you do it for other people. You have to show people that you're capable, that you're confident, that it's not one of those, those who can't do teach or do as I say, not as I do. I hate those sayings. They, 
they really piss me off and fake it till you make it. Like yeah. all these things oh. is crap, just crap. <laughs> I've got a few of them. You can do, you can't see it on the video. Like with, if you're not watching the video, but I have this moment where I'm like, Oh, I can't stand those things. Um, I also don't love self-made, but that's just my own personal opinion because I yeah. think that none of us are like, yes, you do the work, but someone always yep. led the way. Like somebody always led the way to give you the ideas or to poor belief or whatever. Um, I don't like the whole self-made myself personally. I think that we can go so much further by learning from each other and connecting and collaborating. So um, can I ask, what was a point, a tipping point for you? And this is just what worked for you, but how did you shift around that 23 to say, okay, I, I, I actually feel like I can find my way through this. How did you do that? Mm. Moment of grace. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that one. So I, as I was struggling and suffering, and I, I try to really keep this because the story I've realized, I realized the story gets too long. So I tried to give it a mm-hmm. bridge version. If we have a two hour podcast, maybe, but since we don't, we'll give the abridged. Okay. Throughout my life, as I was suffering, I had been realizing and, and maybe I didn't, right? But I had been realizing that what I didn't like most was me. Because what winds up happening to the victim is that the victim mindset is that you're the problem, right? I was getting bullied because people didn't like me. I was sad because I was living this life, right? And so everything became more internalized. The victim lives in their own shit, honestly. It's like crap yourself and you're just living it and you're like oh i hate that i always smell so bad it's like well then stop shitting yourself go use the toilet change your pants right and so <laughs> that's personality sorry awesome. Go for it. awesome go i just made that up now but <laughs> you're gonna have to use it I am going to start taking it to the next podcast, but <laughs> that's kind of what it's like being a victim, right? It's it's you hold the key, you're locked in a cage and you hold the key, but you're like, oh, why won't they let me out? Mm-hmm. And and what you're doing is you're constantly giving away your power. So I thought what needed to change was like was me. And to some degree, yes, I needed to change, but not what I thought. So going in from high school to college, I said, everything has to change. And on my college transcript, I wrote Vincenzo on all of my all of my papers, even though my name is Vincent. That diploma right there, I don't know if, if you guys aren't watching audio uh, video, then there's a diploma that says Vincenzo on it, which is funny. It's like, that's not even my name. My name is Vincent. And so I was like, cool, like somebody else graduated college for me. But <laughs> that's essentially what I was doing to because I thought that would help me. And it, and it sort of worked, but it didn't, right? Like it worked because... Going from high school to college, I actually became cool. So I went to an old boys school for for my high school and I was in a Catholic school. So we always had very strict regulations around like hairstyle, how to dress, facial hair, like no facial hair, hair a certain length, certain style, um, clothing, obviously it was a uniform, right? So I was, I was just like, I need to kind of reinvent myself here. So in that summer, going from high school to college, I started working out. I changed up my style. I cut my hair differently. I grew a beard and I just, I just like kind of took on this, this external new persona to go with Vincenzo. And it worked because I never had friends. I couldn't get a girlfriend. I got my first girlfriend in college. And then, you know, I got my first friends, real friends, I would say in, in, in college. 
Um, I had like one friend in high school. And so a lot of these things started shifting, but because my internals were still really messed up, I didn't know how to handle this. So I had like anxious attachment styles where like I would, you know, and I, and now I could look back and admit this, right. It's like where I would be very insecure in the relationships and I would constantly like text the girls and I would get jealous and I would be very insecure and I would do things like accuse them of cheating, even though like they didn't answer. But to be fair, I was also right. A lot of them cheated on me, but that's also be probably because I was insecure and whatever. So it all feeds yeah. full circle. Right. Yeah. And so my relationships were always suffering. I was suffering. And this continued to happen until I was like 23. And it was funny because I was doing great. Right. So in my undergrad, I graduated in Psychi National Honor Society. I was a lead presenter at the undergrad psych research conference for a research team that I was a part of. I got accepted to every master's program I applied to, um, like NYU, Fordham, um, Adelphi, Hunter, all these like great colleges in the US. And I had I had the best life, right? So to speak. I was a personal trainer. I was a mental health worker. I was always working two jobs. And so it looked like my life was really together. And then I go into my master's, same thing, still working two jobs. I have a Camaro now. It's a car, so I'm a cool guy, even cooler, I should say, right? And it's just all these great things on the externals, but the internals were getting worse and worse. So in my master's program, I was having like a lot of mental breakdowns. I wanted to drop out of college. I hated it. I was struggling. Um, Things just seemingly continued to get worse and worse. I did, however, make it. I'd say I made it by the skin of my teeth. Um, not because of the fact that I was failing everything more so because of the fact that I was just in such a bad place mentally that the, <laughs> the only thing that stopped me from dropping out of college was the fact that I was like, dad, I'm dropping out of college. I was like, I can't do this anymore. He's like, that's fine. You better get your own job and get, go move out and get an apartment. Cause I'm not supporting you if you drop out of college. And I was like, I'm staying in college. So- <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this position. I know that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really honestly I think that because here, here's the funny thing too when I think back on that moment I I I realize I realize another funny fun factor is like it is important that my dad said that see I think a lot of people nowadays like your dad should have been more supportive right but I think there's something something to be said about some tough love at times mm-hmm. my dad saying that had one called me on my bullshit because I probably wouldn't have gotten a job and I wouldn't have moved out because the reality is I wanted to drop out because one, I was so unhappy mentally, but two, I was so incapable of life because I was in such a high victimhood that I probably wouldn't have been able to survive by getting a job and moving out. No. So my dad, like essentially forcing that on me, which was powerful and important, forced me to finish my degree. Mm-hmm. And and I needed that. Like I will thank, I thank him for that because he yeah. forced you in such a neat way, though, um, to say it. This is kind of how we've actually done this a few times in the sense that you can do that if you want to. Like, you can. You, yeah. you actually do get to choose. But this yeah. is what else looks like. If you sure. decide to go that route, then these are the other things that are going to happen. So it's it's a funny, not funny, it's like a way of empowering your kids to make a decision, but know that your decision also has other consequences to it. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's important because... A lot of the times, especially in today's society, I think there's like this emphasis of just be supportive and understanding. And it's like, that's that's not how you have to be as a parent all the time. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes like my dad, my dad's willing to hear about why I want to drop out of school. Right. Yeah. He's willing to sit there and listen and be like, well, why do you want to drop out? But he's also saying you could drop out 
mm-hmm. just know I'm not supporting you anymore. You will figure it out. And and that's where it's like, that's good parenting. Not just being like, oh, you don't like school. You want to drop out? Okay, let me just overvalidate you. And yeah, drop out and I'll just support you. And you could be a bum at home. Like, what a, that's a terrible way to be a parent. And if you're somebody who's doing that, please change your ways. Um, but it's, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's one of my philosophies. Um, I mean, through experience, through our own story and experience, I actually think that as parents, I mean, our job is to let our kids fail sooner and faster. Like let them fail, like stop waiting until their mid twenties until you're like, why won't they leave home? Why won't they do anything? And I'm like, well, they've never had to like you, like this is how we prep them. So I just think it's very interesting. And I also think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a great philosophy for also supporting coaching clients, supporting like, you know, clients in mental health, supporting your psychotherapy clients. Like it's, you want to empower them to make decisions themselves but ultimately the the choice has to come from them. Like you can't make it happen. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. It's all about putting people in a state of empowerment, but empowerment comes from confidence. Confidence comes from competency and competency comes from doing mm-hmm. and succeeding because you're not going to always succeed, but you have to keep trying. Like, and there's, there's very key things. So I also have a child, but my child's more of a new child. My, my daughter's one year and one month old. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's this great book I'll recommend to parents called Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's a great book. I read this. I read this book years ago, and it was funny because actually the the day I like finished reading it, I got on a consultation call for a potential new client, and as he's talking, I was like, it "Sounds like you have a fixed mindset." I was like, "Have you been praised for X, Y, and Z in your childhood?" He's like, "Oh my God, that was me." I was like, "Yeah, I could help you with that." And he's like, "All right, when do I sign up?" Like, and it was funny because I just got like I just got done reading the book, so all the info was super fresh in my head. But it's very interesting because it teaches you not to praise for natural God-given abilities because then your child develops a fixed mindset. So my daughter right now, and I'm a big believer that your child is 110%, 110,000% always learning. Even when you think your kid can't understand, they can. Do yeah. not underestimate the intelligence of a child. Just because so their brain functions, yeah, their brain just functions differently. And that's what I've come to learn. Yeah. They're extremely smart and neuroplasticity is the highest from ages zero to 12. So you are forming the most important uh, neural circuitry in your children's brain from zero to 12. And the biggest thing that I do right now as a parent is I let my kid do pretty much whatever she wants within reason. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of parents are afraid to let their kids make a mess and explore, but there's a reason for that. Now, and then an- another thing is like, your kid's going to fall a lot as a toddler. You've If you've been a parent, you've experienced it. And so my kid will fall. I differentiate when she needs to be hugged and when I need to tell her like, get up, stop crying. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that because I know when my daughter's faking. Yeah. So for me to be like, stop faking, come on, get up. She, she'll, she'll even, and she knows because she'll look at me and she'll be like, ah. I'll be like, see, I know you're faking. Even though you're one, I know you're faking. And then there's other times. Where uh-huh. I could see she slipped, it scared her, she fell, and I'd be like, hey, come here, come to daddy, and I hold her. Yeah. And so that's being, in my eyes, that's being a good parent. If I ran, and I know some parents that hold their kids for every little thing, everything, even the fake moments, and yep. they're patterning their children in such a terrible way because you're patterning your kid that they need you, that they need to be comforted, and they're going to learn that's how they get your attention, and you're, you're going to get stuck with that. And then you're going to wonder why your kid has all these attachment issues as they grow up. And so, and that's, 
Some parents do that because they do need that themselves. They oh, need, yeah. we need it. I say that, yeah. sorry, with like, I, they, this is why it's, it's parenting, not whatever, wherever you're interpreting this information for yourself. Like I firmly believe you go first, you lead yes. yourself, you go through yeah. that experience yourself. And for some people, they do need to be needed. And that's, and we have to be really mindful because now we've got like, you know, kids that we are also messing up in our mix as we're healing and doing work too. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why I highly recommend that, that book to anyone who's going to have kids or already has kids. Hopefully you didn't mess them up too much. Go get the book before it's too late. Um, (laughs) But with with that being said, we could digress on this because we're going to just keep going into the kid thing. And I have tons to say about it. So let's jump back to, uh, where was I? Oh yeah. So let's, let's jump back to, this was my life in college. So at 23, I finally graduated. I believe I was the youngest kid in the class. I've been saying that, but I mean, who really knows? I know that most people don't have a master's at 23. I'm very rare. So Mm -hmm. I'll say that, that I could say with confidence. And so graduated 23, quit both of my jobs that I've been working and I was like, I need to figure some stuff out for me. So I had money in the bank. I was able to kind of take some time before I really went full time into the career. And at 23, I was just exploring. I was like, what do I want to do? I would go hiking midweek and I'd be a dick about it. Right. I would text my friends on a Wednesday while I'm on top of a mountain and they're in an office. And I'd be like, how's your Wednesday? And I'd be like sitting there flexing like, <laughs> you know, and they'd be like, they'd be like, well, it was good. Uh, but you know, screw you. <laughs> and so yeah, it exactly. was, it was me trying to have a little bit of fun with my life because I'd been in such a terrible place for so long. Mm-hmm. And then I had started thinking about, you know, it's funny because of the way society tells you things where I'm looking at it. It's like, Hmm, according to society, I shouldn't be depressed right now. I shouldn't have the problems I have, right? I'm 23 years old. I have money. I have a Camaro. I have a hot girlfriend. I'm in shape. I have a master's degree. I have my life ahead of me. Uh, I mean, and then if you want to go into the stuff, the other stuff, like, oh, you're a straight white male, right? We could jump into all of it. Yeah. And so everything society is telling me is, oh, you shouldn't actually have these problems. And I think that was more detrimental to my mental health than anything. The fact that I I'm sitting here and I'm like, I have these problems, but I'm not supposed to have these problems. So now it's even more of a thing with me. Like now it's even more of a me issue. Something right? is really wrong with me. Like something yeah. be really wrong with me then. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's why that's why my therapist had recommended I go on medication. And I was like, but I don't want to go on medication. I don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And so I was constantly just at odds with myself. Always this internal battle, which continuously made it worse. And then almost the guilt for having the problems. I used to build it up and be like, you're not allowed to feel like shit. Like, you have a lack of perspective. There's a kid who's starving in Africa right now. And I had to also come to that conclusion of like, well, you know, good thing for me. I'm not a starving kid in Africa. And that might be a hard, harsh thing to say, but I don't believe it to be because mm-hmm. our circumstances are different. I'm allowed to have problems. My problems will be different because of who I am and where I am. Mm-hmm. And you could still have empathy for that kid. Mm-hmm. You still have a heart. If you if your heart calls to it, donate and do something about it. Join a mission, join a company, go do volunteer work, whatever you want, go support, but don't minimize your problems because somebody has it worse. And that was very hard for me to understand mm-hmm. because at 23 years old, trying to figure myself out and then trying to develop the gratitude that I'm told I should have because of all the things I have, because of who I am and where I was born and all that bullshit, it didn't allow me to actually get more 
deep with the problems I have. And so I continue to beat myself up. Yeah, there's so many pieces there that I think um, so many people will be able to relate to because you're talking in the sense that, you know, externally you had all these things that society told you is, you know, you should be fine because you have X, Y, Z, all these things are happening, but they're still all external, right? Like this is the internal that we have to start to come to a space of allowing and getting to know. And so I'm assuming that was part of your journey. That was a major, major part of the journey. So we come to the point now at 23 mm-hmm. where sitting, I'm sitting in my room, I get up, I go into my parents' bathroom because I was still living at home at the time. Mm-hmm. And again, another thing I should be fortunate about, right? I have a roof over my head. <laughs> and so I'm in my parents' bathroom and I'm just, I'm just frustrated. You know, when you, you like, you don't really know where to go. So you just, I don't know, maybe this has been a thing for me. So when I don't know, know where to go, I just walk into the bathroom. I don't know why I do that. I actually have no clue. I haven't looked into it because it doesn't matter to me, but <laughs> I will spend time contemplating life in the bathroom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for this window into your mind and life right now. It's awesome. <laughs> and so this was, this was an interesting day. I was home alone. And if I wasn't, I think my parents would have been a little concerned for me because I go into the bathroom and I just I slam my hands on the counter. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I this way? Why do I feel this? Why am I so angry? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so frustrated? And and I think a thing to mention as well is like during these years, too, I had a very short temper because of all the pain that I had inside. Right. So it wasn't a very uncommon thing for me to like. Yeah. slam my hands on the counter and it wasn't uncommon for me to do the uh the typical white boy meme where i would punch a hole in the wall right because i was just so mad yeah you know and 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 it's funny because one of the things i've come to understand about anger is that all anger is rooted in sadness and it's an attempt to gain power over that sadness because you're tired of feeling helpless and worthless and weak and so you need to do things to make you feel strong even if it's just for a moment because it's so unsustainable to stay weak and helpless for so long And so that day in the bathroom, when I slammed my hands on the counter, it was out of frustration. It was out of anger. It was out of, why can't I figure this shit out? I've been suffering my whole life and I'm tired of it. And you get to that point where it's like, you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you finally, the thing that changes people is not pleasure, is not joy. The thing that changes people is when the pain of staying the same is finally worse than the pain of change. And I came into that in that moment because I was really trying to figure it out. And after I slammed my hands on the counter and I was just kind of like, I wasn't yelling, but I was just like, what's wrong? Like I was getting, I was getting loud. And I looked up at myself and I was like, oh my God, I finally get it. I was like, you're Vincent. And that was the first time since I changed my name in college high school going to college. I said my actual name, my real name. So that was the first time in seven years I said my name. Everybody knew me as Vincenzo, all of my new friends, all of the people I met. I still have friends to this day that call me Vincenzo. And I'm like, hey guys, you know, I just want to remind you, that's not actually my name. And they're like, yes, but we've also known you for almost 10 years as Vincenzo. So it's just, it's hard for us to break. (laughs) I was like, you know what? Fair, fair, go for it. Keep calling me Vincenzo. I don't care. And so in that moment of clarity, and that realization actually brought peace into my life. Somebody asked me on another podcast and they said, if there's a moment in your life that you could experience again, 
without changing anything about it, what would it be? And I started thinking about all the cool things that have happened in my life. I'm like, maybe when I'm cliff jumping in Costa Rica, or maybe the time I was swimming in Bermuda, or perhaps like, you know, that time I was racing a Lamborghini on the on the racetrack. And I started thinking of all these really cool moments. And then all of a sudden, everything went back to that. I was like, I want to experience my moment in the mirror again, because I never felt such a feeling of peace. In that moment where I finally accepted myself, I tell everybody, I mean, it's hard to measure because who has a numerical value for this, but I feel like my anxiety and my depression literally melted away like 90% from just the moment of accepting myself. And that level of peace that I felt was the greatest moment of peace I've ever experienced in my life thus far. And I've come to understand a few things that I did that day. One, that aspect of taking my name back was radical self-acceptance, where I was willing to finally accept everything that had happened. And I was willing to finally take ownership that the life I'm currently living is a result (laughs) of every decision I've made from my past has given me the life I'm in today. And the life I'm about to step into, I can create based on the decisions, the actions that I take from this moment going forward, that if I don't want my life to be as shitty as it's been, it doesn't have to be from this moment. It's up to me now. So that's radical self-acceptance and extreme ownership to say that everything that has happened is my fault. Everything that will happen is up to me. And then I started asking myself this honest questions. And this is where I say my parents might've called the people in the white jackets because now I'm sitting in the bathroom and I'm looking at myself and I'm like, you're weak, you're depressed, you're anxious. You're pitied by people. No one admires you. You're not inspirational. People ask if you're okay because you're weak and they think you need the help. And I started kind of going off on myself and people like, well, that's mean, isn't it? And I'm like, no, that's honest because you can't fix a problem if you're not honest about what it is. And if you can't acknowledge who you are in the moment, because that series of things I said to myself brought about a few more questions. And then I said, is this who you want to continue to be? And I said, no, it's not. And then I said, great. So who do you want to be? And that's where I started saying, I want to be someone who's inspirational. I want to be someone who's powerful. I want to be a leader. I want to be admired. I want to be loving, empathetic. I like just started saying all these great things, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next question that followed up was probably even more important than that one, where then I asked, okay, what would a person who embodies those things do? What would they say? How would they act? What would they do in life? How would they make others feel? How would they show up? What's the presence they carry? All of these powerful things. And that then led me to start taking different actions too. And so that was an aspect of self-mastery and internal leadership, because I don't believe that leadership has to do with a title or position. What it has to do with is how do you want to show up in life? What's the presence you want to bring and carry? What's the identity you want to hold? These are all the most powerful, the most powerful things. If you want to create transformational shifts in your life, I didn't know that at twenty three. I realized that as I look back and I started learning about neurology, physiology, even more greater info on psychology, and I started learning transformation doesn't come from just sitting there and doing like one to one therapy where you're talking to people. That's like a part of it, but that part of it's just awareness. The next piece is really about what you do and the identity you hold and become, and you have to become it before the world sees it. And that's where a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome because they're like, well, how am I going to say I'm happy when I'm not? It's like, well, for one, that's the worst belief to have because yeah, you're right. You're not going to shift because you already believe you're unhappy. So you're not going to find happiness. But number two is making a decision that day. 
Mm-hmm. The easiest example I like to give is like, if you're someone who's 400 pounds and, and you're able to acknowledge like, I'm fat, I'm out of shape. I should not be 400 pounds. This is really unhealthy. I can't breathe when I walk. My knees hurt. I hate going up the steps, right? To start changing your life is not to say, well, I'll get, I'll get fit. It's not to start. It's not saying that. It's more about saying, you know what? I'm tired of being this person. I refuse to live the rest of my life this way. From this day forward, I'm going to be fit. Now you've shifted the identity. Now what you're more likely to do is the things that a fit person will do because you've said it. I'm fit from this day going forward. So you're still going to be 400 pounds, but now what's changed is the identity. Identities determine your behaviors and your behaviors form your habits. Mm -hmm. So now if you're identifying as fit, you're going to start going for the walks. You might go to the gym. You're going to start eating healthier. You might start tracking your workouts, your diet, all of these things that yes, maybe in a year or two years or even three years, however long it takes, now you'll no longer be that 400 pound person. Then you'll be more at an ideal weight. Then you'll be at a different stage in your life. And yes, then people will start to see, oh, wow, you're really fit. But you need to be it before people could see it. And that's where people struggle is they don't understand that. They think it's imposter syndrome. Like the 400 pound person is going to be like, but I'm not fit. It's like, but yes, you are. Because fit is just a state of mind. <laughs> Fits a state of mind based on an identity. And so is everything else. Happiness, right? Love, life, all of these things. It's about the identities we hold. So oh, that's it. That well, first off, that's there's about 10 minutes there that I think everybody should go back and listen to again because it's so <laughs> good. It's so good. Um, and the identity piece, like I just finished my NLP trainers, and we've just like I I don't think I fully understood until doing this work on how important it is to take on that identity. And that is not an imposter syndrome. It's not fake it till you make it. It is like what decision. And I literally have the conversation in my own head. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, wait, what would the, what would the version of me who already has that, how would she show up right now? What would she do? Would she make the time for the work? Yes, she would. So do those things. That's the identity piece. But there's something that's really, I think, even deeper and even more powerful about what you said there is when you had that moment in the mirror, so many people might feel that the identity of who they are is not authentic because I don't think they're actually being honest with the words that are being said in their own head. And when you had that moment, like I actually think it's really important to get that shit out of your head, like stop we are our own biggest critics. So the things that we're saying to ourselves are the problem. They actually are the problem. So getting real about that and saying, wait, is that true? Is that actually what I want to believe? Because of course it's not. Nobody wants to believe those things about themselves, but that's when that identity level starts to change. And it's like, wait, I know what the pain of being here is like, and I don't want to be here anymore. Like that's where radical like self-acceptance, ownership starts to make such a big change. And the one thing I can say that's consistent about almost every single person I've interviewed on this show, and they have had different levels of success. They've done incredible things and walked through very different stories. The common thread is almost always, they have a moment where it's like, this is what's happened to me. I am no longer going to be a victim. Now I get to choose what I do next. And I'm not going to spend my life resenting my past because it's made me who I am today. And, yeah. and that's an incredible thing. So I just, I love everything you just, you just shared there. Thanks. And I, I think there's something that I could add to that real, right, right quick is I've dealt with a lot of clients who come to me 
and they say, I am the way, like it's a badge of honor, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, I am the way I am because despite my past. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, despite your past, <laughs> you are the way you are because of mm-hmm. your past. How about we implement a little bit of gratitude? Mm-hmm. Because you can't change something if you're not grateful for it happening. You can't change the narrative. The problem is the story that people keep telling themselves. When they have this story playing in their head, because my past, I've overcome the odds. Everybody wanted to see me fail. You know, like saying these things like, oh, I, I did it despite all the ways I should have lost and failed. And and, and there's still a level of victimhood in that. It was, it's a glorified victimhood. I can, yes. You can still hear that victimhood in there. Yep. It's like you're glorifying it. You're making it sound better, but it's still victim. Exactly. And so that that is one major shift that I'll do now. Language, you know, this is your zero NLP practitioner, which good on you. But you know, language is powerful. Huge. So things like that, that one word has helped so many clients shift. I'm like, stop mm-hmm. saying despite your past, start saying because. Yep. Because if you even like any part of who you are today, you better start being thankful for the people that helped you be this way. Even your dad that might have beat you. Because if your dad beat you and because of that, you're going to be an amazing mother or father now, thank them because you have no idea. Because if they didn't do that, you might have been shitty. Maybe you would have beat your kid. Maybe you would have had trouble discerning right from wrong. Maybe you would have had issues where now you don't want to even have kids or whatever the case is. Who Mm -hmm. knows? All I know is if you like any part of the person sitting here today, you better start getting grateful for your past because Mm -hmm. you literally are a product of everything that has happened before this moment in time. And Mm -hmm. that's where people fall short is they play the victim narrative over and over saying, no, like I am this way because of all the terrible shit that's happened and bubble and like, just stop. It's not not empowering you. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to hear it (laughs) and nobody else wants to hear it. And you're only keeping yourself disempowered by doing it. If you want to become empowered, you have to take full ownership over your life. And some of the realizations with me and bullying, I'm not getting bullied because I'm Vin. I was getting bullied because those guys had internal issues and I was the weakest person in the room. And I was, Mm -hmm. I really was. I was a little bit chubby. I was a really awkward kid. I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know how to be cool. I would, because I was so tired of getting picked on. And this is something that I realized too. Because I had gotten so tired of getting picked on, I started being more of a dick when people would pick on me, which didn't make it better, mm-hmm. right? If somebody would be like, oh, Infante, you're a loser. I'd be like, you're a fucking loser. And like the kid was three times bigger than me and he was a football player. So what was I supposed to expect? Of course, I was going to get thrown in a trash can. Like I got thrown in trash cans in high school, mm-hmm. partly because of my own mouth. But yeah. it also came from a place where I was like so tired of, of not being accepted. But you know what? Maybe if I was able to be a little bit more like, oh, you're a loser. And I'd be like, you're damn right I am. But you like me anyway, don't you? Like things like that maybe could have made me more likable. Mm -hmm. And so maybe like, oh, you know, I don't want to throw this kid in the trash can. Maybe he is chill. But I never I never had that. And so, again, my internal story made me more of a victim than I needed to be. And Mm -hmm. I should. And then that's where I could say I'm probably part to blame for getting bullied. I could have done things differently. I'm sure I could have, if I knew differently, if I knew better. Mm-hmm. And and so there's multiple ways you could have handled bullying. I could have learned how to fight. I could have changed schools. I could have changed the way I responded to them. Right? There's three ways right there. I could have yeah. I could have done something to help my bullying situation. Right? It's so true. And I I love that you said the word respond because I really believe like when I was in a I lived in victim mentality for so long. I I like I own that space. That was totally mine. It's like a badge of honor. And in that space, I reacted to life nonstop. 
And so everything would be like a, like a volatile kind of energy blow mm. up. And, you know, I get to the point where it's like, it's exhausting. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, wait, I'm fighting all these battles and none of them are actually mine. They're not even mine. Like, can I just fight my own? And so the difference is when you can come to peace with that, you learn how to respond as opposed to react to very different things. Yeah. And that, that's the biggest thing I didn't realize as a 13 to 20 year old kid. And that's the things you're not going to realize. And and that's why you're going to suffer because you don't have the understanding. But when you start getting curious, as you get older, you can come to the understanding. One of my favorite quotes that I saw online somewhere was like, you're not responsible for the programming you receive as a child, but you're a hundred percent responsible for how you handle your life as an adult. And I think that's super important because people are still running around today in their thirties, forties, fifties saying, well, I'm this way because my parent beat me. It's like, yo, you're 50 years old. That's a terrible excuse. You know what that tells me? You haven't changed since you were 10. You're 50, but you're 10. And that's kind of sad for 40 years. You've been living with the same bullshit narrative. You're 10 years old mentally. That's awful. That's yeah. awful. <laughs> it is. It is. And again, like some people, no matter what, like they'll be listening to this and they'll all of a sudden have this moment going, like, crap, that's me. I, I get that. And if you, if you're having that moment, like don't beat yourself up. Like that's, it's, it's actually, you need that awareness piece. Yeah. And then there'll be other people who will justify their heartache till they're blue in the face. This episode's not for you because it's just, <laughs> just we're on. not going to change that. Sorry. We're not, we're not going to change that. Um, yeah. One of my favorite quotes was like, you're not a victim of your circumstances. You're a product of your decisions. And that was a turning point for me with Stephen Covey. When I heard that years ago, cause I was like, nothing is the way I want it. Like nothing. So out of the things that are out of my control, what can I do about them? And that puts you back into that piece of ownership, which I think is huge. And so listening to like, you've obviously like gained tremendous amount of experience having to walk these paths yourself. You now work with coaching clients, like that's your business of what you do. And you probably are, you've infused all these pieces of things that you have brought to the table until Mm -hmm. now. And you have a huge goal of what you, how many people you want to impact. So I would love for you to share a little bit about the work you're doing now and what your big goal is. Sure. So the work that I'm doing now is a combination of therapy, mentoring, and coaching. So Mm -hmm. I just call it like TMC, which is kind of funny. I think that's a, is that a TV? I think so. Uh, It might be, it might be a TV channel. It might be. (laughs) But (laughs) it it makes more sense for me. It's therapy, mentoring, and coaching. And so for coaching, I, I didn't I didn't really touch upon this. When I was I, I got disenfranchised with therapy because I stopped believing in the efficacy of it. I stopped believing that it works. I really don't believe that it works for the most part. I think it's like one piece of the equation. I don't think therapy is irrelevant, but I think therapy for long periods of time might be irrelevant. I actually think coaching might be better for longer periods of time, and, and we'll talk about why. But as I grew disenfranchised with therapy, I was like, there has to be a better way to help people because I feel like nothing's changing here. Yeah. I've worked and and for anyone who wants to question what I've done, I'll give you I'll give you my piece of authority here. I've worked in inpatient, outpatient, hospitals, clinics, homeless shelter, private practice, department of education, traveling home therapists, and applied behavioral analysis. And mm-hmm. so I've done everything in the field, literally everything. Mm-hmm. Could not find anything that I felt was fulfilling, except for private practice. I liked private practice. 
However, even there, I noticed people were still coming in day after day with the same damn problems. And I was like, you know, there's two parts to this. One, I don't think this really helps. And mm-hmm. two, I don't think I know what I need to know because I didn't learn it in school. And so I started seeking out who the hell is really getting great results. Who is transforming lives at the snap of a finger? My search took me and found Tony Robbins. And so I went, I got my coaching certification under Tony Robbins training program. I started just learning everything he did. I started utilizing his techniques, right? Because they're actually really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I would just study everything about it. And so I was like, well, this is really cool. The thing that I see that makes coaching fall short is that coaches do not go into people's pasts because they don't feel qualified. And quite frankly, maybe they're not. You don't want to dig up people's trauma if you don't know how to handle it. So to that to that fine point, I will say you don't feel that you're capable and equipped and know how to handle it. Don't do it. Stick to what you know, right? And just understand what you know is only half the battle though. Because I don't believe and this is a big problem with modern day coaching is that a lot of coaches are like, it's not about the past. It's about where you want to go. If you don't want, if you don't get it, it's because you don't want it bad enough. And you just got to focus on who you want to be instead of where you've come from. And I'm like, that's so stupid because that's half the damn equation. That's yeah. like telling someone, Hey, I know you are stuck behind a wall that was previously built, but if you really want to get over the wall, you just got to get over the wall. And it's like, yeah, but I don't have any tools to get over this wall. It's like, yeah, but you don't need tools. It's like, well, it's 20 feet high. How am I supposed to get over it? It's like, come on, if you wanted it bad enough, you would claw at the wall until you eventually got over it. And it's like, no, that I, I don't, that's actually physically impossible. Mm-hmm. And so where a lot of people get stuck in coaching today is their past. Yeah. So what I said was, okay, I see where therapy could be useful mm-hmm. to create understanding, awareness, and help people come to a level of honesty as the third piece and help people really see their their previous life or the things they've experienced in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's the power importance of therapy. But that actually doesn't do anything to help people transform their lives. That's where the coaching part comes in because coaching is a aspect where we challenge people to raise the standards of their lives, where we challenge you to no longer live in the narrative or the story that you've been telling yourself and instead look at things in a different light. So that's where I said, okay, cool. If I can combine these two things, I think I could get really great results for people. In fact, I think I could get rapid results for people because we're just doing a straight, straight back and forth here. Like I don't get on and say, hey, we're going to do therapy for 30 days and then we'll do coaching for 30 days. I'm like, we're going to go through and it's going to be a fluid flow. You show up. I'll see who I need to bring to the table today. And then people are always curious. They're like, well, how do you mentor? And so I was like, well, I've come to learn that a lot of the times especially in therapy, maybe not so much in coaching, but especially in therapy, it's very strict on self-disclosure. According to the ethics and guidelines of therapy, traditional therapy, you're not supposed to do self-disclosure. And if you do, you're not supposed to do much of it because it's supposed to be just, it's all about the client. I don't really believe in that because I know all the things that have helped me in life was listening to other people's stories and experiences. That's Mm -hmm. what a mentor does. A mentor doesn't come to you and say, hey, I'm going to teach you cognitive behavioral therapy. A mentor comes to you and says, this is, you're going through this. This is how I've gone through it. And this is what I've done. And these were the steps I took. And this is what helped me in my life. Mm -hmm. So mentoring to me is teaching people through your experiences and your knowledge of your life, not through a book or anything else, nothing formal. And so mentors help people transform too. Because when you feel that connection, that somebody truly understands you, 
you're more inclined to actually do what they say and listen to them because now there's a different level of authority. If I come to you as the expert who read a book in school and I'm like, like, oh, well, this is what the book says you should do. You're going to be like, this fucking guy doesn't get me. He's just telling me what he learned in college. He doesn't know my life. He can't understand me. And some clients will say that. And mm-hmm. then you'll have some therapists will be like, then you don't know how to reach your client. I'm like, that's not true. Because yeah. a, lot of cl- a lot of clients have told me before I would do self-disclosure that they felt like I didn't understand them. And it's not because of the things I said. It's because when you're in this victim mentality and you're stuck going through something, because you don't have references, you think it's unique to you. And so building that bridge and extending your hand to say, hey, I've been there, let me lift you, builds a whole new level of trust and authority, which really opens a person up. And so for me, mentoring is about love and experience. And that's where I combine the three services to really give people a holistic form of help where we will jump into your past. We will overcome traumas and all this other bullshit if we need to. We will push you to become a better version of yourself because that's what coaching is. And then mentoring, funny enough, one of the things somebody said to me at one point, they're like, the difference between coaching and mentoring is coaching challenges people to become more of themselves. Mentoring challenges them to become more like you. And I was like, that's interesting. But if you're saying you want the results I have in life, sure, become more like me. Because there's a technique in in cognitive behavioral therapy, it's called modeling, where we tell people, go find someone who's achieved the results you want, and then learn from them and see what they did, and then do it yourself. So sure, if I'm going to help someone become more like me because they want to achieve the things I've achieved, Mm -hmm. that's fine by me. Cool. Become a mini version of Vin. And then in becoming a mini version of me, also become your own version of yourself. Learn the things I could teach you through my experiences, take that, make it yours, and then boom, shift your results, shift your lifestyle, shift your standards, start doing things and become more of you. And Mm -hmm. so that's how I combine the three to really help people. Oh, I love that explanation. I really, really do. And modeling really helped me to understand, like, we're again, we're not in this like fake it till you make it mentality at all. But modeling, when we went through my last immersion, we did the wood, like the board breaking. I've done that lots of times. This board was thicker than any other one I've ever had. And I was in this space that I really finally understood modeling and like what, okay, so what, what do I have to do? How do I show up that way? How is she doing it? What is, and we take those pieces that work for us. So I love that. And I love how you're sharing this piece on therapy, coaching and mentoring, because a lot of people will come to me post therapy. They'll come to me in, you know, post traumatic experience. And I did do a lot of therapy in the beginning. And I think that it got me so far, but I needed like more and learning from mentors who had walked very similar paths to me. It did not mean that I walk it exactly the same as they do. And I take on every single aspect, but it showed me what was possible because in my therapy experience at that time, I literally felt like I was the only person in the world who was struggling because yep. it was just me and the therapist. And we're taught. And I, I remember hitting a point one time where I was like, I mentally am going to lose my mind if I have to sit here anymore and just rehash everything that's happened. I want actionable things to work yep. on. And so they actually referred me to a crisis counselor, to be honest, was the best thing I ever did because she was super actionable. And that, that's what worked for me. So I just want to share, like, at least 
if you're in this process and you're listening to this conversation, like be curious and open. There's a lot of different modalities and things available that if it's not supporting you to be stuck in one cycle for a period of time, then get curious and start looking for other options. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing I saw with therapies. Like you're sitting there, you're just constantly rehashing that does nothing for anyone. And mm-hmm. a lot of therapists I don't feel are, and I'm going to just say it, a lot of therapists I don't feel are equipped to actually do proper therapy because a lot of therapists, and, and I, it's starting to change now based on new certifications, at least in the US, where yeah. a lot of therapists are social workers. Social work school, or at least the one that I went to, and at the time, the one I went to was in the top 10 in the country. But mm-hmm. the one that I went to didn't teach much about therapy. It taught social policy, social uh, ethics, social injustice, social warriorship, like everything about more creating social movements, not about doing one-to-one impact. Mm -hmm. So you have these people who are just sitting there learning about social justice. And then you're sitting there and a client's like, yeah, you know, I I have a lot of trauma in my life and this, that, and blah, blah, blah. Like, what's your answer going to be? Well, the system is rigged. Like, how do you help them as a client? And so I learned that a lot of these social workers really just don't know what they're doing. And that's one of the bigger problems too. And I'm okay with taking some heat for saying that because I believe it. Even mm-hmm. me, myself, like I went through social work school. They, I have two years. That's where I got my master's. I went mm-hmm. to social work school. And the only reason I even had some therapeutic experience was because I said I'm going down the clinical route because I wanted to do psychotherapy. You have two paths, at least in mine. It was clinical where you do psychotherapy or it was social uh, social advocacy. So if you're going down the social advocacy route, don't tell me you're learning shit about psychology because you're not. I know it for a fact. So don't tell me, oh, I decided to go social advocacy route, but then I decided I want to be a therapist. Get your ass back in school. Get mm-hmm. your ass back in school because you don't know a damn thing. And I will be very okay with pointing that out because I went for this two-year master's degree. I feel like I learned nothing. In the last semester, my second year of college was when they started teaching Psych 100 concepts. Now, luckily for me, yeah, see, you're you're making that face because like, what the hell, right? And yeah. people were confused. People were confused on Psych 100 concepts. They were like, huh? They were like, how does that, how does, how does Pavlov's dog work? I'm like, you don't understand Pavlov's dog. You're about to become a therapist. That's a problem. You don't mm-hmm. understand basics of behavioralism, mm-hmm. right? And so I had a lot in my psychological toolbox because I went for my undergrad psych mm-hmm. and I had four years of psych as opposed to a lot of these people who are coming from social work or something social services in their undergrad and then social work in their masters. And they're just learning social policy, social advocacy, all these things. Mm -hmm. And so again, that's not bad. If you want to do that stuff, go for it. But if you're going to say, no, I want to do one-to-one therapy, you better like learn a lot more. Mm -hmm. And that's why I grew very disenfranchised with, you know, the therapy system. Cause I just, I just didn't see it working. And a lot of these social workers or even just therapists in general, I don't want to blame the social workers, but a lot of therapists in general will just sit there and constantly ask you questions because they think that's their job. And they'll be like, well, how does that make you feel? What do you think you should do about that? What do you think might be the best answer? And it's like, yo, if this person knew, they wouldn't be sitting in the damn chair. How do you how think you- it makes me feel? <laughs> yeah. how, how does that make you feel? What do you mean? How does that make me feel? Have you not been like looking at me and seeing I'm angry right now? What do you want? Oh, I, I'm angry. What What are we going to do with that? Well, how, well, why do you think you're angry? Because it pisses me off. Like, you know, and so I, I see this and that even bothers me. I'm like, yeah, your same. job isn't just to over ask questions. And, and that's one of the biggest things that when people come to me, they're like, Vin, it's such a relief 
that you don't just sit there and ask me questions because I hate that. Do you know how many people hate that? And yet therapists still do it. Yeah. It's like, that's why people stop believing in therapy. That's why people are like, oh, I've been in it for 10 to 15 years and it doesn't help. Of course it doesn't help. You're not getting any action. You're not mm-hmm. learning. How are you supposed? And this is what I tell people too. It's like, I'm going to teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. There's going to be sessions where I might talk more than anything. And it's not because I don't want you to get better. It's because I'm a firm believer. If you want to shift a habit, if you want to change the wiring in your brain, you need new information. Mm-hmm. How, like, if I told you, like, right now, what do I have on my desk? If I told you, like, hey, I'm holding up a pen for anyone who can't see. If I told you this is not a pen, and I didn't give you any other info, and I was like, Marsha, tell me what this is. You're gonna revert back. You're gonna be like, this is a pen mm-hmm. because I didn't give you anything new. But if I said this isn't a pen, this is actually a pencil, and it's a pencil because it has it has lead instead of ink. It functions differently. If you write with it, the point could break. Now I'm giving you all these evidence-based information to build a new connection in your brain. So now you could actually do something different with that because I would say, hey, there's also a very good use for pencils. Mm-hmm. When you might have a mistake that you want to erase on something like a drawing or whatever, you should always use a pencil. So now going forward, you have the information of what a pencil is. You might struggle to use it because you're so used to using the pen, but we started opening up your brain's ability to learn a little bit differently. And if we got your brain a little bit curious, because now it's learning a little bit differently, we could start changing how you start functioning with pens and pencils. And now we could start giving you new actionable steps, which I'll say, hey, so here's the use cases for a pencil. Here's what I'd like you to do with this pencil. Here's what I'd like you to try. Now you're more likely to succeed instead of me just asking you questions. Well, you know, what do you think you should do with a pencil? I don't even know what a pencil is, bro. Like you, you I, I've only known pens my whole life. <laughs> no, I, and I, I think the the powerful thing that is coming from this is this integration piece, right? Like is is helping them to integrate it into their life. And maybe, you know what? A lot of things can change. I think it's, I don't know the quote exactly, but it's like the quality of your life comes down to the quality of your questions. Like ask different questions, start yes. asking different questions. And, you know, the fact that you've gotten yourself to therapy, like again, like good for you because a lot of people don't even make that first step. But if you're not having the results that you want, and even if it's not just therapy, even if it's from a coach, if you're not having the results you want or the results you desire, start asking different questions, start putting yourself into that space. And I know I could probably record an entire podcast with you on this whole ethical marketing mindset coach piece. Oh, sure. But I I, I want to respect your time, but I want to tap into this for just a little bit. Can you share anything with this that might be red flags um, for you in this space? I absolutely hate when people try to pressure sell coaching. Yeah. I, I'll give you a, a good example. So one of the things that I started doing when I first, so if there's any coaches listening to this, you guys might want to think about this as you're trying to build your coaching business is when I first started coaching and I didn't have clients and I didn't get word of mouth or referrals because I had no network and nobody knew me. Mm-hmm. I signed up for a website that would uh, create like warm leads. Mm-hmm. So the name of the website was bark.com. I I don't know if I would still recommend it. So just letting people know, like there are websites out there, right? And they can kind of look into it to see how it operates, right? And so when I first started utilizing it, it it was great. It creates warm leads. People are looking for a coach or a therapist, and I obviously fit both categories. So Mm -hmm. people will be looking for that. They don't know who they're looking for. They just know they're looking for it. Now, the reason that the system was great and faulty was because you can't really qualify those leads. So you pay to get the person's info, and then you give them a call. 
right? And so I would be calling warm leads virtually all day. However, a lot of people wouldn't be vetted well. People you might call, they just don't even answer. So now you wasted your money. Um, mm-hmm. But if you have some disposable income like I did because I was already getting a salary, I would recommend looking into one of those sites. And I had an experience. I called this one guy and he was very interested in working with me. He was super, super interested. He's like, Vin, you know, everything you're offering sounds great. I would love to consider working with you. He's like, to be honest, though, he's like, I have one more coach that I'm lined up to speak with tomorrow. He's like, and just, you know, out of respect for the fact that we've already scheduled, I'd like to hear what she has to say. And, you know, then can I give you an answer? Like after I meet with her and like sometime this week, I was like, sure, man, no worries. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say for argument's sake, his name is James. I honestly don't remember his name. This was so long ago, but James, I didn't hear from him for about a week. Right. Uh, I texted him. I said, Hey, James, just wanted to see if you're still interested in coaching, how everything went with the other coach, you know, would, would love to get on a call with you and just kind of hear your thoughts, whether it's a yes or no. So he's open to it. He's like, yeah, sure. Then I'll get on a call with you. I was like, okay. We got on a call. He's like, listen, man. He's like, I just, he's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I really don't want to work with you. He's like, I honestly don't want to work with anyone. I was like, why? What happened, man? He's like, I've just, I just had such a terrible experience this past week with that coach. And, and it just, it really made me take a step back. I was like, well, do you mind me asking like just what happened? And he goes, yeah. He's like, you know, I, I, I got on the call with her and she sold me like this $10,000 package. I was super interested in it and super hyped up and ready for it. And then I got off the call and I was like, oh my God, I can't afford $10,000 right now. Like this is, this is insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was super excited about it. So I swiped my card and then I asked for a refund. And then she started telling me like, oh, I guess it's not important to work on yourself. I guess you don't really want to change your life. Well, if you really cared about your, your life, you would do something different. You have to invest in yourself. The bigger the investment, the more you get out of it. And like, she's, he's like, he's like, I had to literally fight with her to get my money back. Not only did I have to fight with her to get my money back, she made me feel shitty about myself for doing it. Feel worse than when I started. Yeah. He's like, and I got to be honest, after that experience, man, he's like, I just, I don't think coaching is the right thing for me because that was shitty. He's like, I don't, I don't want to work with a coach right now. He's like, you seem like a great guy. He's like, but I'm just, I'm just not into it right now. And I was like, you know, man, I respect it. I totally understand. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Um, I would never personally do that. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you, I'll tell you flat out, I think she's a shit coach. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I hope that you get some help from somebody, whether it's another coach, like I can understand we met in the same week. I'm probably not the guy now, yeah. but I hope if you ever do change your mind, I'm always here. And, you know, if, if it's not me, I hope it's someone else and I hope you get support on the things you need and good mm-hmm. luck. And I'm sorry, again, I'm sorry on behalf of all coaches, because that's not how it should ever go. You should never use people's mind against them mm-hmm. and, uh, and i'm sorry you experienced that and he's like thanks i appreciate that i really do and uh, and that's it and we just left it and he never signed up as a client but to to my knowledge uh he's never reached out right and it's been years mm-hmm. and um you know who knows maybe that was a lie maybe it wasn't but i i don't see why he would lie about that yeah. but i've also seen this i've seen this a lot okay. i've i've been pressured because i've invested in myself quite a bit Mm-hmm. And I've invested in myself and I felt extremely pressured where we would get on the calls and the guy would be like, yeah, like you have to invest, you have to invest $8,000 and, and you have to do it right now because the deal only for this call, if you don't invest 8,000 right now and you call me back, it's going to be 12. And I'm like, oh fuck, like I want to work with this guy, but, but then if I don't decide in this very second, then I have to pay another 4,000 and it's like, well, shit, like, I guess I better sign up for 8,000 right now. 
And then I spend the 8,000 and like, that was the last money I had to my name. And I really wanted to give it that, give that careful and considerate thought. And I couldn't. So now after I signed up, I was like, oh, I got it for 8,000 luckily, but now I'm having a panic attack because I didn't have the fucking money. Mm-hmm. But I felt like if I didn't do it now, I, I can't afford eight. I definitely can't afford 12. Yeah. And so I hate, I personally hate pressure selling. I don't believe in it. I think if you're doing that, you don't have a good product or service because the reality is if you need to force someone to invest in you, chances are you're probably not getting that client like in a good state, right? Mm -hmm. And now there's a lot of negative pressure. And the thought is, oh, well, if I force them to invest that much and that quickly, like they're going to have to rise to the occasion. And I've seen a lot more people fail than succeed with high pressure sales. Like, because you're already coming into it with a negative, scared energy. Because you're just like, oh, man, I, all I have is $8,000 to my name. I just spent it all. Like, this has to work. This has to work. You're not in an abundant mindset. You're in a scarcity mindset. That coach, in essence, if we talk about neurology standpoint, that coach just put you in survival mode to yeah. make sure that they secured 8000 and that you signed up. And that doesn't consider the client. And I'll die on that hill. Any yeah, coach same. that wants to challenge me, please shoot me a DM. I'll fucking tear you apart in the messages. I'm okay with it. But you like you're putting people right. in survival mode to to yeah. feed yourself. You're not there for that client. You are definitely not there for that client. Don't you dare tell me I'm there for them, but I force them to in, invest eight thousand in this moment. You're like I'm, you're a piece of shit in my eyes. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I would never trust you. I would never recommend you. And if I ever heard of anyone working with you, I would tell them to stay away from you. And and that's how I look at it because. I believe if you're truly there for someone, you respect where they're at. Mm-hmm. And some some people might be like, well, what about when you need to challenge someone? You could challenge someone. And then if they say no two to three times, leave them the fuck alone. It's simple. Yeah. You can challenge somebody to help them to think differently and give them some awareness without shaming them for not spending the full yeah. amount in what they're doing. I still think, I don't know, that's like an old, like maybe when I was a kid hearing it, but like leave people better than when they came to you. Like don't leave them worse. And that's, that's just being a good human. That's not even just coaching and mentoring. I think like let them leave feeling empowered because I've had people come back around and they're like, you know what? I respect that you never pushed me at that time. And, but now is a good time. Like now is a good time. I'm like, great. Because what you want to work with people who are in an empowered space, like they're starting out that way. And so, yeah, I just, I love that you said that. And I think that this is, it's certainly becoming more and more relevant. And I actually think women are a bigger part of the problem in this coaching area right now, when it comes to this, I'm sure that there's men, but I don't see a lot of that. And there's a lot more conversations happening about ethical marketing and, you know, ethical coaching and mentoring right now that I think is really powerful. And it's going to continue to divide the um, coaches and what's available. So if you're a client coming in, I mean, ask, ask until you're done asking, like ask the questions you want to ask. If you're feeling shamed for asking questions, if you're feeling shamed for like from a coach, those are red flags. Those are red flags. Mm-hmm. I think I think people should also ask about experience. Like, yeah. how long have you been in this? Where did you learn? Like, I don't I don't think that I don't think that people really put enough emphasis on looking at like people's pasts. Like, yeah. when you ask me what I've done, I can tell you I've been in mental health for thirteen years. Yeah. When you ask me what I've achieved, I can tell you well I've overcome my own issues. 
Mm -hmm. I've built a, I've built a multiple six figure coaching business. I've, I also run another business. I do angel investing. This is my clientele. Here's my testimonials. Here's my feature in Forbes magazine. Here's my entrepreneur podcast I was on. Right. So I have a lot of stuff built in where it's like, you could ask me when I'm done and I'm happy to share it with you because I want you to see that there is capability within me. And I want you to feel comfortable making the investment in yourself. Right. If you have somebody that's like, you know, fresh in the field. I don't think it's anything wrong if someone's fresh in the field. I think you can give them a chance, but then you also might want to just look at like, hey, you're fresh in the field. You don't have much experience. And you're trying to charge what? You're trying to do what? Oh. What are your results? And and that's where I think a lot of people maybe don't check properly and they don't check credentials. Now, mm -hmm. in coaching, as we know, the problem with coaching is that's an unregulated field. That's also yeah. the great thing because it allows anyone to really start practicing, which is cool. Like I was able to just transition out of therapy without going back to college. I was like, I'm going to take this certification course and, you know, I'm going to go through and I'm going to get it. But other people, you know, they could just say, well, I'm a coach. And, and it's like, cool, but like, how long have you been a coach? What have you done to deserve the title coach? And again, there's not really a specific, like Tony Robbins training, for instance, that's not an accredited coaching program, but I'd say it's better than ICF which is International yep. Coaching Federation. I'd say it's better than ICF, but mm -hmm. if you were to, for instance, go to a company and be like, hey, I'm a coach, they would probably be more likely to hire you if you have an ICF certification, even though mine's, mine's probably better. Yeah. So understand, right? There's, there's different levels depending on what you want to. And then be very knowledgeable about what you want, what you expect from a coach. And one thing that I would say too, shows, shows how someone is a, as a coach, it's like, look them up on socials, like Google them. Oh, 100%. Like if if their Instagram, if they don't have videos on their Instagram and like I like I I stumbled upon I stumbled upon this profile yesterday. So you know how like on Instagram sometimes like people will tag people mm -hmm. and you like you you creep a little bit and you're like, "Ooh, yeah. who's that person?" So I saw this guy, he was out like I I know this I know this one guy and he was hanging with this 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 group of people and like I was checking the tags cuz it's a pretty interesting network he has. And one of them was like it was, it was this woman and it said like something coach on it. So I'm always curious about other coaches. Like mm -hmm. I want to see like, what are they doing? Right. I'm always trying to learn from other, other coaches hey. and see, right. And study, study the people in the field. And I, and I stumble on this girl's profile. I'm like, is this girl a coach or a swimsuit model? Because it says she's a mindset coach in a bio and her whole Instagram is just her in bikinis and traveling. And I'm like, I would never work with this person. Not because of the fact that I'm judging her, but I have no idea how she is as a coach. Yeah. And the only thing that she feels comfortable showing, which is interesting to me, is like bikini pics and her traveling. Mm -hmm. And so it's not to take a stab at her and say she's a shit coach, but I have no reference that she's a good coach. Yeah. I have no measure to say like, oh, I love her content. Her video made me think, oh, she posted a really powerful quote. Oh, she really talked about business in this way, or she talked about mindset in this way. Like, I want to work with her. I'm like, I don't want to work with her. Is she going to get on a Zoom call in a bikini? I have no idea about her. Like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I don't know anything about this woman. And if you're saying you're a coach, you should be showing your knowledge and your information. And if somebody stumbles upon someone and, and, and you like them, but you don't know about them yet, follow them on Instagram for a bit. Yeah. See, post, see how they are as people. Because when you're working with a coach or a therapist, you're investing in yourself, but that investment that you're making in yourself 
is also going to either be very worth it or not based on the person you're working with. So you need to know that you have a good relationship with that person and that you like that person and that you feel they're authentic and that you feel like they're going to help you. So spend your time and don't just jump into everything because it's a lot like dating. You need to meet people. You need to test them out. You need to go out on a first date. Hey, collect all the free calls if you want. Just do it. Just keep seeing free call after free call until you find someone you like. Um, that That's my biggest recommendation because I'm concerned for people with shit coaches mm-hmm. because there's a lot of shit coaches out there. It's very easy to be a coach. It's it's not hard at all. You know, whoever's listening, if you want, go out tomorrow or after this podcast and just be like, all right, I'm a coach. Nobody could challenge it. Nobody could be like, no, you're not. You can be like, yes, I am. That's how easy it is to be a coach nowadays. So please be aware. Look out for things too, like fake followers on Instagram. I don't admire that because there's a whole thing out there right now. And and people message me all the time, like buy followers. It'll increase your authority. People think you're good at what you do if you have 200,000 followers. And not going to lie, people do buy into that shit. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm I'm raising this as a concern. Just because someone has 200,000 followers and they're a coach, don't believe that those are real followers and that they're actually good at what they do because they spent money on their profile. Just like, that's something beware. Like I've seen coaches out there, they have 20K followers and they get three likes on a post. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you bought people. You're not actually great. You're lying. And and if you really are great, then just put out content. Let yourself grow organically. I only have like 6,000 followers mm-hmm. on, on my Instagram. And I'm okay with that. But I grew that organically through videos and content and information. And I continue to grow organically. And I'm not buying freaking no. followers and shit like that because <laughs> that's authentic or it's not yeah. authentic. Yeah. It doesn't interest me at all. It doesn't at all because I don't want, I I don't want a bigger pool of people who are not interested in what I'm doing so that I now have to sift through the bigger pool to find the people who are actually my people that are interested. I don't want that. I would rather have the smaller number and engage from that, that space. I mean, everything you're sharing coaching wise, I think is so it's, it's so helpful for people who are listening and I mean, I mean, like I can honestly say a lot of my life has been transformed through coaching and mentoring. It really has. And I'm so grateful for it. But through that process, I've learned a lot more now about having criteria. What do I look for? Um, what do what are their values? Like who are they as a person? Because that's important to me now. Like it's not just the flashy money of yep. what somebody is doing. It's like who are they as a person? And so I just I love this conversation. I think it's really important right now because it is something that we're seeing so much more of. Yeah. There's a lot of fake stuff out there. It's scary. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. Don't be impressed by money. Real? I, I you look at Tony Robbins. When's the last time Tony Robbins posted a photo of him? And you know, Tony Robbins is a billionaire at this point, right? When's oh, the last time fine. Tony Robbins? Yeah. Has has posted himself in front of a Ferrari or a mansion. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I I see guys out there, and I know for a fact, I've had a lot of conversation with coaches because other coaches, and I won't name them, but other coaches open up to me because they think we're the same. We're not. I'm better, and I'll tell you why. I don't feel the need to fake bullshit, and I don't feel the need to post my luxuries on my Instagram. I do well for myself. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a nice car. Mm-hmm. I live a really great lifestyle. I don't post shit about it because it ain't about that. My Instagram is about helping others. Meanwhile, I have other coaches I know. The guy who's posted up photos of himself with a Ferrari, I'd be like, dude, that's a great Ferrari. He's like, yeah, I rented it for like the day and to do some photo shoots and put content. I'm like, why did you, like, you're posing in front of a Ferrari, telling people to live a rich life. You're fucking renting it. You can't even afford your own. Like, that's fake. And then there was this other guy. This was pretty, pretty interesting. This other guy, he got fired from his job. He got fired from his job because he wrote that he wanted to quit his job on like his 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 list of things he wanted to manifest. 
And then one day he was like posting on his Instagram. He's like, if you want to be a successful coach like I am, and you want to learn how to take control over your life, and you want to live the life unleashed and like quit your job like I did and blah, 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 you know, DM me now for coaching. I was like, dude, that's great. Now I was still working a nine to five. So was he. And so I was like, dude, that's phenomenal. I'm trying to get where you're at. I'm excited. And like, we were connecting on like the, the fact that we we're both trying to become coaches. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I'm excited for you. That's awesome. He's like, Hey man, he's like, yeah, truth be told, like my boss saw that list and where I said, quit my job. And so he fired me. So now I'm just trying to get some clients and build some income because like, I'm kind of struggling right now. Cause like, I just got fired and I'm like, wow, you're such a fucking loser. I'm like, <laughs> you're a, like, like, like after that, I thought so low of that guy, because it's like, at the end of the day, like be honest. Yeah. Or don't say anything. Don't overhype it. There's yeah. so much. And, and so this is where I really want to warn people. Like there's so much bullshit. There's so much hype. And a coach that's, unless a coach is like a financial coach where he's trying to teach you to make a million dollars, you should never have a coach that's sitting there like, look at my Ferrari, look at this, look at that. Like that coach is more involved in himself than he will be in you. Yeah. And again, anybody who wants to shoot me a DM and tell me I'm wrong, you're welcome to do so. But that's what I've come to see. And I know a lot of coaches at this point in my life because I've been in the field for a while. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of the shit people open up to me about because they think we're friends. And I'm not saying we're not friends, but because of the fact that, oh, actually, we're not friends. Sorry. I'm not friends with shit coaches. So if you're opening up to me and you're like, yeah, I rented this Ferrari for a photo shoot. Oh, yeah, I, I got fired from my job. Like, you're, you're an inauthentic coach and I don't want to be your friend. But that's what people will tell me. They'll tell me that shit. So very concerning for me. And mm -hmm. I'm very concerned about that because I take this very seriously. Same. Like, you're entrusted with people's mental health. You're entrusted with their hope. You're entrusted with the fact that they think you're going to help them become better. Mm -hmm. And you're not here for that because you can't even do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're lying about your life for whatever reason. And if you don't feel comfortable and confident in your own life, realistically, how are you actually helping that person do more? And, and if you are somehow helping them, like, to what capacity? Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not the kind of impact and kind of reach that I want to be a part of. And I think it's just a really I think it's a really important conversation. There'll be some people who will hear that and they are very attracted by the money. They are very attracted by it. And that's that's fine. That's totally fine. But also if you're hitting a point where you're not having the results that you desire, it's okay to start to question that wait, maybe is this isn't the right fit for me, or maybe I need something else. And and that's okay too. Yeah. And don't ever put yourself in debt to work with a coach. Any coach that's like, hey, it's $12,000 to work with me. I have one guy approach me and he's not a bad guy, but he's like, hey, it's $30,000 to work with me. I was like, okay, I could see that being a pretty good investment. Like you offer a lot of stuff and I really like what you offer. I was like, right now though, 30,000 isn't for me. He's like, he's like, well, you know what I could do is I could get you funding and then, you know, through working with me, you'll pretty much make it back. And so like, you should definitely get this funding. Let me set you up with my friend. I made this great connection and we could get you 30,000 like tomorrow. He's like, or how much do you have? Can you come up with 10 and then maybe we'll fund you for 20. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, it's not feeling good. Yeah. I'm like, you see, I, I will never, and I've done this before. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where my rule comes in. I will never go into debt for a coach ever again, because here's the thing. You should never make such a big investment ever right and like this is what i've come to see you should never make such a big investment ever if you're not 100 percent confident that that like this coach wasn't going to help me with my business he was going to help me with my mindset my heart right like things that are more internal mm -hmm. and he and and yes those things will have ripples in your business but i can't quantify it's going to do thirty thousand. Mm -hmm. now if this guy is saying hey listen you invest thirty we're going to run a campaigns we're going to do x y and z 
there's, you know, within three to six months, you could probably invest in, you know, expect an ROI. And I'd say, okay, cool. That makes more sense. But for you to just say, we're going to work on your mind and your heart, it's going to cost 30,000, but that you'll make back. I'm like, nah, I don't know. I, I don't really feel that. And, and it didn't feel very aligned. And then he started messaging me afterwards. He's like, hey, Vin. He's like, listen, I get it. Um, and I said, he's like, you know, why don't you try one of the lower tickets? I was like, you know what, man? I honestly just, I did a little right thinking. Now. I don't even want to do the lower ticket. Like, I'm okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do some other things with the income. And then he, and then he sends me another message. He's like, Hey man, you know, I think it's just your ego acting up right now. Mm. And I think that your ego is trying to stop you from the growth that, you know, you're supposed to step into. Mm-hmm. And then I never answered that. And then he sent me a follow-up message. He's like, Hey, just wanted to check in. Did you see the video I sent you? Even if I wanted to work with you, which I did until he started sending me all that shit, I was like, now you lost me. Because in the future, I would make the 30K investment mm-hmm. because I liked you. But mm-hmm. now you fucking messaging me and annoying the shit out of me, trying to get me into anything. Now mm-hmm. I feel like one, you're desperate and two, you're annoying me. Yeah. It's like you're con- now you're like, oh, let's just do like the lowest ticket thing. Let's get you in. Let, like, even like I got the $5,000 offer and I could do it for 3000 because, you know, it's short notice. And, you know, but I'm like, yo, just like you're like, leave me the fuck alone. Like now you're I desperate. <laughs> I know. I think this is honestly, I think it's awesome because I just think this is such a powerful and important conversation right now. And I'm so glad that we're having it. Um, and I feel like I could talk to you for a really long time, but I do want to respect your time. <laughs> Episode two. <laughs> so, where, so where's the best place for people to connect, follow you and learn more about you? I know you mentioned Instagram. Sure. So for people to connect with me as I am on my mission to impact 1 billion lives positively. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope this conversation was the start of that for some of you. Mm-hmm. You can find me. Instagram is great. I haven't been active because I've been super busy, um, but there's tons of videos on there anyway. And I do start to, I will, I will be posting again. You can go to vin.infanti on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I always answer DMs. Feel free to shoot me a message. You can find me on TikTok at the same handle, vin.infanti. You go to my website. This, this I would love to promote for everyone to get is go to my website, www.vincentinfante.life. And there is a free resource on there. It is a, non non bullshit version of a vision board which i created it's called the mission board and if anyone is who hasn't figured it out yet is i i like to look at things in the in the field and say this kind of seems like bullshit how can i make it better and uh-huh. then try to provide more value to you guys i love it so oh God, i would I love, love for everyone to check out that free resource go get the mission board i guarantee if you utilize it properly it will really help transform your life mm. and you could also book a free session if you want to just talk to me if you liked me for whatever reason, feel mm-hmm. free to give me a, a, you know, book a strategy session. If you're interested in working with me and seeing if we're a good fit. Um, it's basically just a free session where we could talk about strategy, anything you might need, any, any way I could provide service to you. And if we're a fit, cool. If we're not, I also don't care. I'm not going to push you as, as you might've been able to figure out. Um, so I'm really just here for anyone who might want anything to do with me. I also always recommend, like, like I said before, Check out the Instagram because I post tons of free content. And honestly, a lot of that stuff I post because I was like, oh, this was a good conversation with a client. Let me share this information. So if you can't afford coaching and you can't work with someone, it's out of your budget, just start there. Go listen. That's mm-hmm. that's the point of the free content. So I could create reach and impact without you actually having to do the investment at the time. <laughs> All right. Oh, no, I love it. And I mean, I think that that's another, that's another great sign. And I always go back to like Gary Vee. 
give it all away. Literally, like you can give it away. And what happens is all of a sudden you'll see somebody I, I'm sure you've, but I get somebody who will show up my DMs. Like I've been following this, wondering if we can do this, want to talk about this. I'm like, just curious, like, where do we cross paths? And they're like, oh, I've been following your content for months now. And so people will, people will follow until they hit a point in their life where they are ready to do something. And yeah. it's just such a better, more empowering connection and relationship, both sides. Yeah, we'll have, you know, and I I know we're like over anyway, but I feel like neither of us have anything better to do. But here <laughs> <there> is <laughs> Okay, it's not true. There is value here, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing better to do than provide value to people. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> there's three, there's there I, I've come to learn that there's like a, a three-step approach to self-development. So for anyone who's listening, if you're still here, I know this has been a long podcast, but <laughs> The the three steps that I like to tell people about, and this is why it's important to kind of understand where you're at. The first step is anything you do will help you. So if you're new to self-development, keep listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. buy books, listen to videos, audio tapes, whatever you got to do. Start, just get, get your foot in the door because anything you're going to do because you have zero former knowledge is going to be great for you and it's going to start helping you. Then start applying those steps. The second thing, the second step, is to then do like events, go join seminars, go to events, take trainings, get certifications if you feel that'll help, right? Or go just do courses or whatever the case is. And then it's like, now you're getting into like, you're spending more money, right? Because like a free video or a $20 book is different than investing a few thousand in a course or a few hundred in a course or an event or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And that info is going to be more specific, but still general because it has to apply to the other hundred or thousand people in that area, Right. After you fill, got your fill with that, joining communities and networks and, and doing these, the final piece is now you're level three and level three is where you're ready for that specific intervention. Now it's about hiring a coach or a therapist or finding a mentor because now it's like you've learned the general stuff, you've started applying it, you have a good grasp, but now you need to apply it specifically to you. Now you need to hear, hey, Marsha, this is what you should do based on your current situation in life instead of going to an event with a thousand people and hearing like, all right, everyone, this is how you control your life because that's where the nuances come in, right? Like now it's like, hey, instead of investing, you know, like Tony Robbins, I love Tony. I've gone to tons of events. I got his cert- you know, his certification, right? So instead of going investing 5,000 in a Tony event, because now you've got the general info, invest 5,000 in a good coach. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and now take it to the one-to-one structure where you can really get that tailored information to you. And that's how I tell people it's like understand where you're at. You mm-hmm. might not be ready to invest in me. You might not be ready to invest in Marsha. It's more about where are you on your journey? If you're new, don't spend thousands on a coach. You really don't need to. And you don't know what you need from a coach yet. Go get the books. Go see what books resonate for your life. Listen to the audio tapes. Explore different people and their different styles. See what resonates. Then go to the events. Find what really makes sense in the events. Then say, who could give me the specifics that I need? So take that whole, like, do that level up process as you go on your self-development journey. You should never, and from what I've come to understand, you should probably never start with a coach because you don't really know what you need. And and if you want to, maybe start with someone cheap. Just, just because of the fact that you don't know what you need. But even that, like, 
I, I don't know. I, I would say just go with the free shit and see what resonates and then follow that path. That's that's my suggestions. It's thank you for sharing that the way that you did. And it's it just made me re- like personally made me reflect because I think my first three or four years, I literally went to tons of live events. I joined like communities and learned and and I didn't have a one-on-one coach for a very long time. And I didn't know what I needed. But I just, I knew I didn't want to stay where I was at. That's the only thing I knew. I don't want to stay where I'm at. So what's going to move the needle forward? And for me, a lot of it was live events and that. And then I hit a point where it's like, I don't want the big, like thousands of people live events. I want the more specific support. So I love how you broke that down. I think that's actually a really powerful way for somebody who might be trying to figure out where do I start? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, amazing. 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 Honestly, incredible conversation. Quick question for you. Last question. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? All right. Uh, this one's kind of funny because it's new. <laughs> Did you say phony? I said funny, funny. Funny. I was like, <laughs> how do you say phony after this whole conversation? <laughs> it's funny because it's new. No, yeah, it's funny because it. it's me. No. Um, yeah. Got it. <laughs> the... The newest lesson in life is is so wild because God, you, you might notice I'm a storyteller. So this is going to take a little oh, bit. Yeah. I, I recognize storytelling, but, trust me. <laughs> but God doesn't give you, God doesn't give you what you want. He gives you what you need. And when you ask God for something, God doesn't just plop it into your mind. He gives you an opportunity to earn it. That's why everything in life is earned through situations, adversity, problems, et cetera. Your problems are your potential. For that reason, because when you're asking to level up in life, you're not going to be given something easy. You're going to be given a problem because a problem challenges you to grow to out to actually overcome it. You never fix a problem. You only outgrow it and you outgrow it with the knowledge you gain or the perspective you have to take or the actions you're forced to do. Whatever it is, it challenges you to be more so you can overcome it. Mm-hmm. So I had a conversation with God at one point where I was stepping more powerfully into coaching. I was like, I really want to create more impact. I want to do X, Y, and Z. I was like, you know, God, I think the thing that I've lost over the years of, well, to be frank, shit I dealt with, right? As a firefighter, I've I've held people's hand as they yeah. stared at me while they died and their child was screaming in the door. That was an experience that I had. I've had worked with clients who have killed people. Mm-hmm. I've heard their stories of why they did it, how they did it. I've worked with people who were, terribly traumatized and put into the home, you know, the shelter system because like they were beaten by X, Y, and Z and they had nowhere to go. Or they were like in a, in a gang and they were forced to do things like, so throughout my experiences, I've hardened as a person, not in a bad way. I still have so much empathy and love for the world and for people and seeing people do their greater good, right? Like I've served my whole life and I always will. That's all I do. But I also have seen that there are parts of me where like you could tell me anything i'll just be blank because it doesn't affect me and like i i i i literally can't share like share in it i'm sorry i can't share in it like you'd be like like it, life's been hard and i'll be like mm-hmm. i understand like but like like that right it's very neutral. yeah it's very neutral mm-hmm. and it's not because i'm trying to protect myself it's just because of the fact that like i'm just used to this shit yeah and so i had this understanding i was like you know god i was like i think i've lost some of my ability to connect on a deeper, more empathetic level. 
because of just all the things that I've experienced. Because like, you know, this person's holding my hand as as I literally watch the life fade from their eyes and their kids breaking down in the doorway. What am I going to do? Break down and cry? I'm a firefighter for God's sake. That's what I need to fucking do. I mm-hmm. need to keep trying to save this person's life. Not, oh my God, this person died. Like, I don't have time for that. Not the time and place. Right. And then, you know, and it's not about sucking up the emotion. It's just about, I'm I'm used to this. Like if you're a plumber and you're always used to smelling shit, eventually you don't sm- smell shit when you go to a job. You just go and it's like, whatever. And that's how I've kind of developed and I've grown. And so I said, God, I, I would like for this part of me to be open again. I I feel like I, I'm having trouble tapping into it and I need it. I need it to really do the work to impact a billion lives. And um, it was funny because I also didn't want kids. And I was like, you know, I'm good without kids for this lifetime. I don't really care if I have one or not. And me and my girlfriend weren't super careful, but she had birth control. She was wearing birth control. Mm-hmm. She got pregnant anyway. Mm-hmm. And we decided to keep it. Mm-hmm. And I had like this crazy spiral because I was like, I'm not ready. My business is too new. I don't have the time for this. I just started another business. I bought it. Like I bought a business. I'm running a business. Uh, I'm running another business. I have two businesses now. I have all this shit going on in my life and, and I am not ready for this. And like, like, how could this even happen? <laughs> and I was like flipping the fuck out. So for like six months, I was in such a bad space mentally because I was just beating myself up. I was like, I'm not ready for this. I can't handle this. I like my business isn't even stable. Like how, how can I, you know, how can I be sure I'm going to be able to provide? And, and so all these fears as a man come up because a man, our heart is to be a provider. Our heart is to be the one that's going to be like, hey, don't worry, you know, family, I got this. And also me and my girlfriend weren't married, you know, and, and it's like, I thought there should be a process. Like first you get married and travel the world with the love of your life. Then you buy a house, then you have a kid, you know, and and like- when You make a plan and God laughs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it shattered my expectations for life. I had to do massive readjustments, massive shifts. And I was figuring out like, wow, how could this happen? Like, why did this happen? And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. And then I had to snap and I'm like, oh, I fucking asked for this. God damn it. Like, like, like I asked for this. And so, and, and, and so I have my daughter hmm. and I had her and I had this instant moment of awakening where I was like, that's me. That's my soul. Like, like it's your instant soul's recognition of yourself and another person. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was like, she's not scary she's little and and then i started like like my my heart like i don't know ever since i had like my heart began melting every day like i look forward to just holding her and cuddling with her mm-hmm. and i look forward to hearing her say the words dada and i uh, just man it's crazy but it started doing things to me where i would just sit there and like like even right now i'm fucking teary-eyed i don't even know why it's like it just started yeah Yeah. it just started softening me up and in in great ways like i'm still a leader i'm still powerful i've never i haven't lost that i know that but now i'm not only a leader and i'm powerful but my heart's back open and and so the most powerful lesson that i've taken recently is reconnecting to my empathetic side because the sacrifice that a child forces you to enact of, mm-hmm. hey, you're crying and you're screaming because you're uncomfortable and it's driving me fucking insane because you won't stop. But 
it's not about me. You're actually the one that's suffering. You're uncomfortable. And I can't even do anything to ease that. Mm-hmm. That makes your heart do something. And so for me, it's been making me learn to sit with her and be like, it's not even about me. Like I'm frustrated because you're crying for an hour, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, I also need to figure out like you're suffering. Like dad's heart is sorry you're suffering and dad's heart wants to help and he will. And so it, it's challenged me to be a, a greater man than I already am. Um, so that's the most recent lesson. Love that. And I love the emotion that I brought up for you and how real it is. Like this is this is the thing. Yes, this might be one of the longest podcasts I've done. Just to, which, <laughs> And I actually, I love it. It's been such a powerful conversation. It really has because you shared so much value and so much heart. And I just really feel like, you know what, you want to make a difference and you want to have that impact. And I love every single thing that you shared today. So honestly, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Marsha. It's a, it a great and emotional roller coaster of a time <laughs> going through anger at bad coaches and crying over my daughter. What a phenomenal podcast. <laughs> I have a way, just so you know, I have a little bit of way of doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.